Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What a way to start the first ever Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. We are marching on together. Yes, we are. <laughs> I'm Matt Beadle. I'm with you until 10pm this evening. And now it's time, as I said, for the Leeds United fan show. I'm joined in the studio by John McKenzie of All Stats, aren't we? And Ben Whitehall. How are we, chaps? Yeah, really good. It's just like being in Ellen Road, that wasn't it? With the, with there we the go. You can just feel the walls. You can feel the vibrations <laughs> in the studio. Shivers down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> well, gents, it's great to have you here. It's great to have the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport. And things are good, right? Ten points from 12, a third clean sheet for Kiko Casilla. I see Adam Forshaw said that a big message has been sent out to the championship. Times are, times are good at Ellen Road. Yeah, it's wonderful. Um, I think there's a lot of Leeds fans who are a little bit... Um, feeling a little bit shaky coming in this season because of obviously what happened at the end of last season but um, it's, it's something we'll talk about later on one of the things I focus on is stats um, and, and tactics and, and one of the one of the monikers that you have when you do that is trust the process and um, I, was, I was secretly um, fairly fairly confident that we would be okay this season and it's been really really good to see that, that that's actually panning out Yeah, in terms of the quality of football Ben, are you happy with what you're seeing? Yeah, very much so I mean, you know as John said, things have continued very much in the same vein. You know, we're playing it from the back. There's a possession-based approach. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the the faith that he did that things <laughs> were going to uh, not go south this season. But you know, really pleased to see that you know players like Bamford and Forshaw coming through at the start of the season. It's really exciting. What do you make of those quotes from Forshaw saying that a big message? We've sent a big message out because we are four games in. Can a big message be sent out that that early in the season? I think for me, the really important thing about what we've done at the beginning of the season is that we've we tightened up on the things that we were bad at last season. Um, we have come out and we've been, I think, a little bit more pragmatic than we were last season. I mean, last season we came out and we were we were very gung ho. We would we would go for goals and there was no shame in, in in our attacking approach. But this season it's been all about control and we've we've barely let up, um, given up any. Uh, shots on target like against Brentford in midweek we gave up one shot on target which was, which was from outside of the box um, and what we're seeing is a sort of ebb and flow of the game is that Leeds are controlling the game and then pushing for for goals in, in the last um, few minutes when they need them so we saw that again against Brentford where the goal came in the 81st minute um, so for me I'm happy to see that that calm controlled approach which is we dominate possession we dominate the ball and we when you do that as a team you know that you're going to give away counter-attacks but we're absorbing the pressure from counter-attacks as well so it's, it's all about um, actually approaching the, 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 this, this season I think in that way that we aren't going to have games like Wigan last season where hmm. uh, and, and Derby as well where we, we did conceive, uh, concede goals on the, uh, the counter-attack and, and we looked very shaky there I mean it's going to be nervy in that sense and exciting and that approach like you say there in terms of condensing the play and not having too much attacking threat until the last moments of the game we saw in midweek of course against Brentford the wonderful goal well a wonderful goal wonderful moment I should say with Eddie Nketiah but is there a danger that you put all your your eggs in that basket and and you think crikey we've got 20 minutes to go and we've got to get a win here I mean it's not something you want as a fan for sure <laughs> um, but I mean I think that the Leeds' whole approach is about 
reaping the rewards in the last quarter of the game. You know, the possession that they have um, in every game of last season, you know, they they just didn't take the chances and they, they you know, they were, weren't scoring the goals they were expected to in a game. So, you know, I feel like as a fan, it's not going to be great. It's going to be tense. It's going to be nervy. But I expect to see the likes of Nketi and Costa and Bamford to kind of put away those chances. They both started on the bench, of course, against Brentford. Is that a case of purely of Bielsa basically saying you need to earn your right to be in the starting lineup? I think I think it's partly that. I also think that the, the Bielsa system is all based around positional play, which is which isn't simply just knowing where where you're supposed to be, like standing in relative to everyone else. It's it's all about interchanges and rotations, and um, and it's it's not quite so simple as being able to turn up and 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 have a couple of training sessions and suddenly uh, pick it up. And part of the reason I think why we're seeing Leeds. Um, do so well this season is because they've had a whole season to play Bielsa's style, um, and and it's and, and we've seen the we've seen the the benefits from that, particularly in the midfield areas. We've been able to have Calvin Phillips, Adam Forshaw, and Mateus Click all in the those positions for the, for the whole season so far, which we 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 rarely did in any um, combination last season. I think that that comes down to it. But yeah, I think um, with with there is that attitude that you you know you have to earn your place, or no one is bigger than the team. Um, it may be a better way of putting it. Uh, but at the same time, I think what we've said before is about control first. Once you've got that control, then you can bring on the big guns at the end when you're pushing for, for 10 minutes. So. Well, Nketiah certainly is a big gun. A dream come true. He described it as scoring that goal. I mean, 35 plus thousand fans in Ellen Road, just under 35,000. You saw the stuff from Ian Wright. Eddie, Eddie, Eddie. <laughs> you even saw a tweet, right, from Birmingham, bizarrely, who seemed to like a tweet that Leeds put out. What was that all about? I didn't understand that. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think I think a, a savvy social media producer at Leeds has spotted that the, uh, you know, some poor soul at Birmingham has liked a tweet that they shouldn't have done. Um, I think that's what it comes down to. But, you know, um, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, it's great to have the buzz around Leeds that we're seeing, like, you know, the, f- the fact that Wrighty's putting out videos on his way to the, the ground, um, you know, and his celebrations, you know, that's that's great for the club. And, um, I think, you know, Inketi seems to have kind of drunk the, the Leeds Kool-Aid, actually. And, you know, his comments on his first day, you know, talking about Bielsa, talking about the club, the fact that he chose um, Leeds and Arsenal chose Leeds to be his destination. I think, you know, that's a real testament to the work that Victor Orta and, um, you know, Radrizani and, and Bielsa have done. Yeah. I, regarding the tweet, that is clearly a... It <laughs> seems like that is someone who works in the social media department who has both accounts. He has his own account on his phone yeah. and he's forgotten to switch them. Yeah. And now he's getting... We've yeah, all done that. Yeah, we? yeah, we've definitely that. all done that. And just sticking on Enketia, John, I think we're going to see a guy who's going to score a lot of goals, I think, in the Championship this season. This is a guy, and I saw him a lot at Arsenal. He's an 18-yard box man. He's going to be in that box... Classic fox in the box, as it were. Javier Hernandez, top player, who's just going to score goals. Yeah, it's what's been really interesting is actually seeing he scored he scored on his actual debut, which was in the mm. in the Carabao Cup, and um, the goal that he scored there was was almost uh, exactly the same as the one that was scored against against Brentford. So it's great to see that the. Um, he's finding obviously both goals were tappings, but he's he, as Bielsa said in, in the post-match uh, press conferences, it's 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 hard work getting into those positions as well. You know, it's not it's not just simply about about finding yourself there. You've got to make the effort to get there as well. And um, I think that's something that Nketi will will add to. And it's nice, I think, balancing him off with um, with Bamford. Bamford is a player who does like to drop deep and, and involve himself in the build-up play a little bit. So it'll be nice to have uh, those two as a foil against one one another. So do you think they can play together? Bamford's got three this season. Do you think they can play as a pair? Yeah, for sure. I think um, we've we've seen them already play in the three five two um, on a couple of occasions late on in games. They did it against Salford as well. Um, obviously, that will depend on when they're playing. Uh, I think teams who are usually playing uh, two strikers, but um, against Brentford, who who had had the the front three, they they Leeds did shift to a sort of three five two in the in the last um, in the last few minutes, and it allowed them then to to really target the the the, the Brentford left back area, which was um, an area that we on on our on our show. Had, um, had we we pointed out that actually that that relationship between Ethan Pinnock and um, Rick, Rick O'Henry um, was was the weak weak link, and we actually saw in the game um, Henry as a as a left wing back. He actually sat a lot closer to to Pinnock, and they and they allowed they stymied Leeds a little bit in the first half, which is why the first half was was quite stodgy in many respects. But um, once once Leeds switched that 
formation into the three-five-two, and they they had Costa on the right wing as well. Um, that that really broke Brentford apart. So I think we'll probably see that um, in the last ten minutes of games quite a bit, a lot this season. And just on the Inketia goal, I think it's it was fascinating to see his movements as the ball went down the right. You know, what you had was you know two. Uh, Brentford centre backs at the kind of near post. You had Bamford almost going to the near post, looking for that ball, and he just he just kind of opened himself up and he gravitated towards the back post because he knew that ball was going to come again. Um, and I think that really, you know, is, was a movement that we hadn't seen a lot from lead strikers in the last year, unless you had Harrison coming around the back. Um, and so that you know, that's that's another option for Leeds for sure. Yeah, I think to the untrained eye, that's just someone oh, he just scores tap-ins. It's yeah, easy, yeah. but that is understanding exactly where he needs to be in that box, yeah. isn't it? You mentioned left backs there, John, Ben. Mr. Alioski, yeah. got a little outing, of course, in the week. Barry Douglas looks like he might not be fit for the weekend as well. You've done some work on them. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of did a profile for the square ball at the end of last year on, on Barry Douglas. And, um, and I, you know, I think he's going to be missed, basically. I think, you know, he was kind of Leeds' marquee signing off the back of his promotion campaign with Wolves. Um, you know, he'd, he'd assisted, I think, 18 goals that season for them. He scored five. He was on corners. He was on free kicks. Um, and Leeds just really didn't see the best of him. He played 45 minutes in uh, 2019 after injuring himself uh, just before Christmas. Um, and luckily we had Alioski, um, and he's, I think, a really able and uh, deputy for Douglas. But I just think Douglas offers a kind of balance and a, um, a style of play that Leeds really miss when he's not there. Um, so I am slightly worried that he's injured so soon after that really serious injury that he incurred against Millwall. Um, and so, fingers crossed, it doesn't take too long before he comes back. And I guess it all depends on how, on what kind of system Bielsa is definitely going to play if Alioski does play. Noel Whelan, an ex-Leeds player, has had some interesting things to say about Alioski this week. And he said that he doesn't see him as a winger. He thinks there's better players and better wingers than Alioski. He favours Jamie Shackleton um, in that position. And it's quite interesting. He said he's frustrating. He drives me up the wall. <laughs> yeah, he is frustrating. There's one thing that I noticed... Uh, on the game on Wednesday, I mean, Alioski started off as a winger and he's moved back into into the basically a fullback position now. I think is is what he's considered out. And, and Bielsa always talks about having two players in each position. So I think now Alioski is considered the the backup player for for Barry Douglas. But watching the game yesterday, so frustrating because so much of what Leeds do at the moment is they 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 overload in order to isolate is is what is what the the, the tacticians call it. They they focus a lot of their build-up play around Pablo Hernandez on the right. Uh, a lot of the players gravitate towards him. Um, and that leaves space on the left for for Harrison and and Douglas and we see a lot of interplay between those two. And the game against Brentford um, what we what we were seeing was Alioski hitting crosses into the box rather than linking up with with uh, Harrison. Now that may be the case that um, that Bielsa told them to do that. I would sus- I'd be surprised if that was the case. And it just felt for me that we we lacked a little bit um, from, from from that because um, it does it does start looking a little bit a little bit hopeless in the end. You you sort of hammering balls into the boxes and we're just not seeing anything coming from it. Mm. Kiko Kassir as well. I just want to touch on him. This is a guy who. It's great for the EFL, in my opinion. It's just someone that just relates to the fans. We saw the the handing back of the pie in, at Salford, I believe. <laughs> you saw him after the goal against Brentford. He was high fiving the fans. He just he's really taken to being a Leeds player, isn't he? When you talk about Enketia drinking the Leeds Kool Aid, Casilla yeah. is drinking <laughs> pints of it. No, no, it's true. It's, it's you know, there's not many similarities between Madrid and and Leeds, but you know, <laughs> he seems to have found found some of that and. Uh, you know he's had a rocky start. You know there was you know a few concerns at the back of last season. Um, obviously the game against Derby didn't help that at all, and um, you know the thought of it still uh, makes me quite sad <laughs> deep deep down. I'm really not over that, but you know it, it, you know he is he's made a couple of really good saves against Brentford, and he seems solid. And like you said at the top of the show, the clean sheets are, are there and building up. So um, you know with Ben White in front of him and a really established system, I think he'll be okay. I've spoken about this a lot before on the show, actually, in terms of how a player can be a bit clever in relating to the fans and kind of being a bit pally with the fans and almost being a bit of a cult hero. We're seeing it now with, say, Kolasinac at Arsenal. You guess he can probably do nothing wrong now after what happened with him and Mesut Ozil. They love him there because of the bravery that he showed. He's kind of a, an Arsenal hero, as it were. Casilla, is there a danger that... I mean, are you happy with him being the number one going forward? Can you see him being solid for Leeds this season? Yeah, I th- it's it's a tricky one because I'm with Ben. You know, the, the, this the flashbacks to some of the some of the things he did last season. Even in the even in the opening game against Bristol City, um, there was there was moments where you're thinking, why is he 
Why is he coming out? Why, why does he always feel the need to command his penalty area in every scenario? It doesn't doesn't ever seem to be the, to be any situation where he'll think right. Maybe a little bit of uh, calmness here would would be good. But um, I think we, as the season has gone on, we have we have controlled the game so much that it hasn't mattered so much. We we're using him as a sweeper keeper. His his um, his passing has really come on this season his, his some of his passing has been uh, i mean almost faultless i think in some games uh, very very close to to, to having a complete uh, pass percentage and that makes a huge difference for 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 leads that's what we needed in a in a goalkeeper we, we we are the sort of team who are conceding very few shots on target and so what you and and i think uh, ben, we were talking before we came on air ben was saying you know kika casilla had more touches than i think any brentford player in in the game on wednesday so when when that's the situation when you're when you're making one save a game mm. and and the majority of what you're doing is is moving the ball around it's, it's he's really really fundamental for that yeah, more accurate passes, I think, as well than any other Brentford player in that game in the week. Well, this is the Leeds Fan Show on Love Sport. And if that's a stat, there's plenty more coming up after this. Love Sport. This is Love Sport and the Leeds Fan Show, the first ever Leeds Fan Show on Love Sport with John McKenzie of All Stats, aren't we? And Ben Whitehall. I am Matt Beadle. We're with you through to 9 p.m. This evening. John, I'm going to do something that's going to be a bit cliche, mate. <laughs> go on. I'm going to go ski ba 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 da you're the stat man (laughs) can I leave am I locked in here I really didn't want to do it but I just felt I had to it was in me this urge was in me but listen you are from all stats aren't we and I'm fascinated by this on on a personal level because there's so much debate around stats in the modern game now and some of it is a bit too much and you think that that's not a really a decent case for presenting a certain argument but in other cases, like you've already spoken about on this show already in the first segment, could already tell that you were applying stats, you know, that were, were, were definitely a really good insight into the way that Leeds are playing. Just explain a bit about what it is that you do and why you've chosen to do it. Yeah, so All Stats on We is, a, is just a Leeds fan channel, really, that we started a couple of months ago now. And it's really taken off quite quite well. I was surprised at how much uptake we had on it. Um, basically, what we do is, our tagline is, we, we, we just look at Leeds United from, from a more statistical and, and tactical um, approach. There's plenty of great fan um, material out there for, for people who want maybe uh, more traditional approaches to, to football media. Um, we've already mentioned the square ball, but there's other podcasts out there as well. Um, but for me, I, I'm someone who has has always been quite interested in the mechanics of the game. Like what's going? I, I I spent a lot of time when I was at university coaching the university's women's team, women's team. So I was interested about um, about how you can uh, actually determine by by looking at the stats how well you're actually doing as as a coach. Can you? Is there any way that you can sort of quantify it more than just saying, "Well, we won, so we must have been doing something right." Um, and that sort of carried over into my experiences of, of watching Leeds. And so one of the things that I do as a, as a as a Leeds fan is I, I'm I'm interested in in looking at the the stats to, to and, and the tactics behind what's going on. Just again, and so it's, it's more like the science of the game, right? It's sort of wanting to know what's going on beneath the bonnet of, of football a little bit more. Um, I would say, I mean, we get a lot of people who <laughs> uh, tweet us saying. Oh, you know, stats are rubbish. You know, like the, the end of the day, points is all that matters, or whatever. And we get we get a lot of stuff like that. But and one of the things I always try and point out is I, I say, look, the first time I watch the game, I watch it as a fan. I'm I'm when we put out previews and reviews of each game, which are which are tactically based. So I say, this is what this is what the uh, opposition lined up as. Here's what they were trying to do. Here's what Leeds were trying to do to counter that, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I only ever write those preview- previews and reviews after, or particularly the re- reviews um, after I've watched the game as a fan, and I have to watch it again because when I'm watching it as a fan, I don't really focus on any of that because because I can't. I'm so I'm so caught up in the game. So um, I don't want anyone to to come across all stats on me and think you know this is just a pretentious guy who who is telling people that there's better ways to watch football than the ways that they've spent their whole lives doing. I can I can assure you I'm watching football the same way that you are um, most of the time. Um, but I do think that it, it does offer really interesting insights into into what's going on. Not, not least because Marcelo Bielsa is is a tactical guru. He knows what he's doing, and and also he will be employing people to do tactical anal- analysis as well. And so I'm just trying to open the door a little bit onto that other side of the game, so people can people can sort of get a sense of what's going on. Yeah, I mean it's an absolutely massive part of the game now. I think Spygate taught us anything. It was that statistical analysis is huge in football now, and I think that that you're right in in some senses yes it is a results based business and ultimately if if no stat applies to anything at all and you've won one in the last minute it doesn't matter the fans will go home happy but clubs employ people now specifically for that statistical side there are certain systems in place at certain clubs whereby 
they w- will be able to unearth a gem in some faraway country because his statistics are exactly what they're looking for. So they certainly play a huge part in the game, don't they, Ben? Yeah, totally. And, you know, I think it's, it shouldn't have taken Bielsa to get up in front of the nation's press and show everyone his spreadsheet to do that. But, you know, I think in that, in that one afternoon, he made kind of almost stats call in football. Um, I think there's a lot of kind of apologising for it in some senses. Um, you know, uh, the way that John looks at football and the way I, you know, I look, like to look at football as well is sometimes deemed to be kind of too geeky or too reverent sometimes, but I think it's just an alternative approach. Um, and, you know, like you say about picking up players, um, you know, Victor Orta at Leeds has, has been shown over the last couple of years to, to do that with a great, great success, you know. Mm. There's a number of players coming through that were completely off the radar of a lot of clubs and he has shown um, to be, that picking up them early is really the, the kind of trick. Mm. Um, and so, so I don't think it should be sniffed that at all and I'm, I'm glad John's doing it from a Leeds perspective because that was woefully missing uh, a couple of years ago. I think there is a real growing desire for this type of content as well and I think people have got bored and a bit fed up of the, well, yeah, he's a big fella. Yeah, oh, yeah, it'll win headers. Oh, yeah, it'll get the ball in the back of the net. Don't you worry about that. Well, that's, that's not really telling us anything. And when you watch replays, oh, you can watch, he's just taken him on, he's swung it in, and yeah, he's in the back of the net. Well, I can see that happening. Break it down. Of course, the likes of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher have, have ripped up the rule book in terms of what we see on TV. But I was looking at your, your Twitter feed, John, at All Stats, aren't we? And there's some really good stuff in terms of what you, you said regarding the breaking down of the, the right-back role and the left-back role against Brentford. I mean... Mm. As a, uh, an everyday football fan, an armchair football fan, you wouldn't really notice that until someone points it out. Yeah, Pablo Hernandez is really interesting in the Brentford game. Um, we put a lot of people criticising Pablo Hernandez in, in in the Brentford game, and, and rightly so. Like his 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 final third passing was was poor. He wasn't making progressive passes, and and because Leeds were trying to go through the through that channel as we've talked about, it, it really meant that Leeds looked quite toothless in the first half. However, the Leeds fans just sort of took that to be, well, Pablo's, Pablo's off the boil. Um, so one of my colleagues at All Stats Zone, we just tweeted the, the Stats Zone passing statistics, just, just a pass map showing all of Pablo Hernandez's uh, passes, all the ones that he'd made and all the ones that he hadn't made, um, just to show that, you know, there's clearly something going on um, because all of the th- final third passes were the ones that were, were, were poor. It wasn't that he was poor passing all over the pitch. Um, and and we had someone someone replied being like yeah well you know you can fall back on the stats all you want but you know I'm going to use my eyes and we were, and I was said look this this is literally a map of the passes that he's made this, this is what you saw um, all we're trying to do with with something like that as simple as a pass map is is just show you all at once all of those passes that you saw in in in, in time uh, and just to, just to make it a little bit easier for you to say oh actually well what what can this tell us about the way that Pablo Hernandez was playing so yeah well, all we're trying to do is is we're taking a lot of the time talking points and saying what what do the stats say we have a gut feeling about this um what do the stats say one one of my favorite players at Leeds is is and, and everyone will laugh at this because because it's become a bit parodic but I really like Adam Forshaw and he was he was um, vilified last year by a lot of Leeds fans and uh, in my opinion he's been the most important um, um, uh, player this season for, for Leeds and the reason why I believe that um, was a lot to do with the stats um, I was I, I, I looked at him and thought you know I think he's really neat and tidy on the board he's doing really really good work um, let's go and look at the stats and see what they whether or not they back that up so that's what that's what I'm doing I'm using my eyes I'm looking at things and, and if there's something that maybe I think oh is that what's going on here then I can use the stats and it usually gives me a helping hand to see what's going on under the surface and just on Forshaw John what changes have you seen in the way he's playing this year versus last year is the style different is it, is it partly positional yeah, with with Forshaw this year, uh, and we mentioned it already. So much of it is to do with the the, the um, orientation of the three midfielders for me. Um, we very rarely had Forshaw, uh, Calvin Phillips sitting deep, and then Forshaw ahead of him, and then Click slightly further forward of him. Uh, and the reason why we didn't have him was for various. I mean, there was various reasons. There was suspensions, there was injuries, etc., uh, etc. Et we lost Calvin Phillips for a bit, and then we lost Forshaw, and they were both sort of filling in that four place. Um, so so much of what is going on now is to do with the fact that. We are able to control um, the game because we're able to control space. Um, and that comes from the fact that we've got three players now who understand the system, who who move the way that they're, they're, they're supposed to be moving. Um, and, and, and that's fine. But f- for me, I think what a lot of what Forshaw does that's really great is is he's just so neat and tidy on the ball. He picks the ball up. He, he, he picks the ball up and he's always taking the ball into a space where he's going to be able to make a pass. He's taking it out of danger. So he's, he's always protecting the ball as well. And it's just little things like that that really don't, 
show up unless you're really focusing on, on what it is that he does. Uh, and those pa- and, and the and the stats really show that up. So he for sure didn't have terrible stats last season. It was I think a lot more of it was to do with the fact that the that the positional play that the that Leeds were doing just wasn't quite working. Uh, and a lot of the time a lot of the a lot of the criticisms are he slows the he slows the play down. Um and I think that's that's totally um I think that's a very important thing for for him to be doing because that's that he is the tempo controller. Um so a lot of people think he's he's slowing down play that should be quick when Bielsa is telling him you want you to control the, the play here. We we are going to we are building up the play. We are about possession. We're not about um quick attack. So mm. so there's little things like that where you're you're sort of thinking thinking well why might that be the case? Why is it why is it that Bielsa uh, that for sure looks a little bit slower maybe than 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 maybe some of the other players. Um is that is that intentional? Is that something that he's been told to do by Bielsa uh, etc so yeah it's a for me it's just it just gives you a little bit more angles onto onto the game no absolutely it's fascinating stuff and these are the kind of stats that you want to hear as a football fan you want to hear this because there's nothing more aggravating than being in a whatsapp group or certain (laughs) websites and certain twitter feeds that chuck out a ridiculous comparison stat that a certain player Sergio Romero has won a European trophy at Man United but David De Gea hasn't when it comes down to trophies stats are irrelevant for me because some of the worst players in the world have managed to win Champions League and Premier League etc etc it's about the team around them my question to you Ben is is there a case where statistical analysis can go too far um I don't think there is you know I think I think there is I think there's masses of scope for you know really diving into the detail um you know I think you know Premier League fantasy football has been a, a you know a big a big role in that actually, and people are having to dig in this detail themselves to go up against their mates and and claim claim victory in those senses as well. So I think people are doing it more, they're they're seeing it more, they're exposed to it from the likes of John and others. I think data out of context can be slightly damaging, you know, um, and I guess that's where social media uh, can possibly be be a bit of a negative because you take a stat out of context you know you've only got 280 characters and you can misrepresent an idea um but i think the the kind of stuff that john and others are doing where you're you're almost telling a story and putting that in context i think is really important and there's a lot of scope to do much more i think agree with that john yeah i do look and and what i would say is that a lot of people say context to me a lot of the time and and what they mean by that usually is we just want to stop talking about stats (laughs) but it's the code word Look, data and stats in in football—they're not important, really. I mean, they are if you're a manager, but most most fans aren't managers, and they don't want to be managers, and, and that's fine. The only reason, the only times where I get a little bit prickly is when is when people say things where if I look at the stats and I and, and, and I and I say so, say Forshaw is a great example. If people just say, "Well, Forshaw is just a terrible player," and that kind of annoys me because I want to say, well, what do you, what do you mean by that? Like, how could you possibly determine something like that without then saying that something like stats or tactics are important? Because because obviously they they, they function in, in in a particular way in the game. And so if if you're saying he's bad, then it's it's fine for me then to come in and say, well, the stats disagree with you and the tactics disagree with you. So yeah, I'm I'm happy for people to say data is, is unimportant when you're a fan. That I totally agree with you. I don't I don't really think about the data that much when I'm when I'm watching that first time as a fan. Mm. Um, but if you as soon as you're starting to make quali- qualifying um, comments about players, then I have every right then to say, well, interestingly, the stats suggest that this is the case, or the, the tactically, this could be why he's he's playing in this way. Hmm. I'd like to see it when you do that with a certain fan. That'd be good. Good to watch <laughs> that argument. <laughs> and you watch the game, so you watch the games back to back. You watch them again. You watch. You get home and watch it again. Yeah, I, I well, I watch the game live usually, and then I will. It depending on how the game's gone, <laughs> I'll give myself a certain cooling off period. To be honest, if it, if it goes really well, I I have to calm down. So I'll usually wait. I'll usually wait. 12 hours usually the next day and if the game's gone really badly then the same thing <laughs> have to take a while to cool down as well right we're going to be talking about Stoke next no Stoke next sorry it's the Leeds fan show on Love Sport this is Love Sport it is indeed the opposition view on Love Sport the Leeds fan show right now joining me is John McKenzie of All Stats aren't we and Ben Whitehall the first ever Leeds fan show on Love Sport we've got about 15 minutes or so left of the show no that's wrong my maths is terrible we've got about 24 minutes left of the show and I'm delighted to say that we've got David Cowleyshaw from the Wizards of Drivel podcast on the line how are you doing David? I'm very well guys how are you? Good thank you great to have you on Leeds face Stoke this weekend not the best start to the season for Stoke what can we expect? Um Hopefully a reaction from us after a pretty horrendous display against Preston midweek. Um, 
it's been a really strange season because despite the fact we're bottom with one point, I don't think we've actually played that badly, probably Preston aside. We've just been a combination of desperately unlucky and desperately poor in front of goal. And I think the kind of uh, XG stats will, will back that up. And it's just been kind of a tale of missed penalties, Jack Butland throwing the ball in the back of the net, uh, injuries to key players. So it's just one thing's piling on top of the other at the moment for us. Hey Dave, it's John. Um, I've got a question about Nathan Jones. Obviously he's made comments about Jack Butland this week that make him look like he's throwing him under the boss a little bit. What do you think about his approach to the dressing room this season based based on that, those first four games? It, it's an interesting one because I get the sense he's trying to build a, a dressing room that he feels he can control a bit better. He's signed kind of perhaps more lower league journeymen and players from League One, play, players he's perhaps trying to recreate the, the vibe he had at Luton. And um, quite, it's been quite telling that the two players who've struggled the most recently for us have been Jack Butland and Joe Allen, who were uh, obviously Premier League players on paper, Premier League wages, definitely. And it's, I, I wonder if we perhaps needed to completely change the entire dressing room as well, because we've kind of got the, this mix now between the Premier League egos, if you like, and then the lower league ones. With regard to... The Butland comments, um, I, th- I think he may he may have kind of rushed in the heat of the moment, but at the same time, Butland made four mistakes that have led to goals this season in four games. So I'm I'm not particularly concerned that he's thrown Butland under the bus because I think Jack Butland will come back from this. I think he's a good enough goalkeeper to come back from this. I, I do think he needs uh, time away from the starting eleven, but I, I wouldn't uh, be rushing to criticise Jones for uh, what he said about Butland, really. Hi, David, it's Ben here. Um, just on the topic of goalkeepers, I know that you signed Adam Davis from Barnsley mm. in the summer, um, who was pretty good shot-stopper in a pretty poor team. Do you expect him to come in, or you know, are you pretty happy with, with Butland as it stands? Uh, I, I'd be looking to drop Butland, but Adam Davis is a odd situation purely because uh, he's not been on the bench. He's not been the number two to Butland this season. It's mm. been Adam Federici. From what I can glean from half quotes in press conferences, that's because Davis isn't up to the fitness levels uh, that Jones wants. Oh, that, that's as much as Jones has been willing to say on it, but I don't know if there's anything else going on there. But it does seem strange that... Uh, we we almost expected Davis to be first choice when it looked like Jack Butland might believe, be leaving. So uh, a bit strange there. So I would expect if Butland is dropped tomorrow, that Federici would come in. And, and of the other like signings you made in the summer, who are you who are you liking? Who are you liking the look of? Uh, quite a few of them. To be uh, to be fair, we've seen um, flashes from uh, Mark Duffy when he's come on. He looks. Uh, a good creative player, but I think that the main one that kind of is universally united uh, the fan base has been Lee Gregory from Millwall, who um, has uh, missed big chances in front of goal, but has done everything else right in terms of forward play, uh, holding the ball up, uh, being a foil for Scott Hogan. And he's he's kind of reminding fan, fans a lot of Johnny Walters in the Tony Pulis era. So. Uh, he's definitely got that going for him but I think on the whole um, with the exception perhaps the fullbacks, the the signings we've made this season have been good, uh, Cameron Carter-Vickers looks a good player, Liam Lindsay looks a good player uh, but it just hasn't quite clicked yet and the the longer we go without a win it's, it's going to be uh, tougher to uh, see Nathan Jones keeping his job unfortunately Nathan Jones has been using four four two with a midfield diamond, which is what he used at Luton. How do you feel about that? How do the fans feel about that? Is there a frustration with that formation, or is is that simply bred by the fact that the results haven't been good? There is a growing frustration with the diamond that I'm. I understand there have been occasions already where we've looked uh, too open in midfield, and teams have attacked us through the middle, and uh, the diamond has been blamed for that, but. I would also say that we've conceded 10 goals from 14 shots this season, so it hasn't been uh, you know, open floodgates at Stoke. There's clearly been a decent level of defensive discipline. It's when it comes to 
the shots themselves that we, we're letting ourselves down through the aforementioned bad keeping and, and kind of individual mistakes as you saw at Preston as well. So there is a growing uh, call for Nathan Jones to drop his diamond formation that he does seem really wedded to. My, my concern is more that he's so wedded to it that he might not be willing to tweak it or try something else out. But um, I, I don't blame the diamond for our current predicament. I, I blame individual mistakes and the kind of also the timing of these mistakes as well. As well. Uh, QPR and Preston, Jack Butland has uh, made a huge error within 10 minutes of the game starting and, and that can uh, have a real demoralising effect pretty much from, from kick-off. So it, it's been a... It's been a kind of psychological thing for us as well to get over, and, and that's that's more of a concern for me than the than the tactics at the moment. D- David, can I just ask you about Nathan Jones? And you know, watching him in his his post match interviews already this season, he looks, I would say, like a man who feels like he's under a little bit of pressure. He said, you know, we just got to come through this. He see, he has said, look, he's saying all the right things. I've seen a massive difference in our play it just has to eventually get to that but we saw him quite vigorously biting his nails on the touchline last weekend and you know is this a man who's under pressure if he doesn't get a result this weekend yeah yeah definitely definitely uh the the kind of uh jones skepticism is, is growing and getting more vociferous i think it's not because we've started this season so badly so much as we only won three games in about 23 games uh, at the end of last season when Jones took over from Rowett. And admittedly, you can excuse that by saying, OK, it's not Nathan Jones' team and there wasn't really anything to play for at the end of the last season. But when you add this season onto last season and we're still going a really long time without a win, then, yeah, I think he is feeling the pressure. Um, I, I'm personally a big fan of his. I, I'm desperate for him to succeed, but... Uh, I, I would be very surprised if he if he wasn't feeling a bit. Uh, I think he's um, he's a very intense character. He, he's very much uh, wedded to football. He, he kind of lives and breathes it. So when things aren't going well, he's going to seem uh, very agitated and uh, kind of very a, a difficult character. And that's perhaps come across in his interviews and stuff recently as well. So. Uh, I'm feeling for him at the moment, but there's not going to be much more sympathy if the results carry on. Dave, just a question about how you how the opening of the season has changed your expectations um, of where Stoke are going to end up finishing. What are you thinking is going to be the best case scenario now from here on in? Well, I think my expectations differ to a lot of Stoke fans, and I think this might be where a lot of the frustration is coming from for a lot of fans. That I was content with mid-table again this season if I could see maybe more tangible signs of progress we were creating more chances uh, the, the football was better to watch we scored more goals which is a big thing we didn't do last season I, I, I think I said uh, to my dad before the season started I'd take 11th now at the start and I, I know for a lot of fans that's kind of unambitious and, and perhaps not the, the right talk they want to be hearing they want to be hearing playoffs promotion but I, I still think uh, there is enough time for us to well there's enough time for us to, to finish anywhere to be totally honest I, I don't think the first four games have really altered uh, what I think we'll do this season yeah. um, obviously when you win when you've only got one point from four games sorry that uh, there is obviously going to be immediate talk of relegation but I, I think I, I, perhaps more in hope than expectation that, that we will be fine and uh, I, I I wouldn't say I've uh, deferred much from that 11th place prediction based on what I've seen so far. Yeah, and I've got an XG table in front of me which suggests that Stoke should be around 7th position based on their XG. So there's clearly there's clearly um, some balancing work to be done in, in terms of what the mm. expectations are. But uh, just one more question for me, and that's uh, what's your prediction for the game? What, how do you expect it to go? Yeah, so it was a bit of a strange one last season uh, with... Uh, Nathan Jones's first league win for us, and uh, we we planned a master plan in a travel lodge that, that <laughs> we actually ditched the diamond for that game and ended up beating Leeds. But uh, I think with the way you guys have started the season, and if the if you score early, I think the crowd will perhaps get on our backs, and it can be very difficult for us to come back from. But I think it will be a draw. Uh, it tend, we we always tend to concede, so one all or two two, I reckon.
David Cowlishaw, thank you very much for joining us. Really enjoyed that, buddy. No worries. Cheers, guys. Yeah, that was David Cowlishaw of the splendidly named podcast, Wizards of Drivel. Interesting stuff there, gents, especially about Jack Butland as well. And, you know, Marco Bielsa, I imagine, would be saying pepper him, pepper him. If he does play, pepper him. And if he doesn't play, what does that mean for Jack Butland? because everybody expected him to leave in the summer and he's made quite a few errors already at the start of this season. And if he's being dropped for Stoke City in the Championship, that does not bode well for his future prospects, especially with the European Championships coming up next summer. Yeah, he's had really bad ankle injuries, I think, that have really held him back. And there's a point at which he was about, he was on the cusp of breaking into the England team at one point and, and had that bad ankle injury, I think, in an inter, in England international. And from that point onwards, I think he's always just had that, that sort of psychological um, thing in the back of his mind, which I, which I don't think is, is anything more than thinking, you know, I've got to, I've got to impress here to get back to where I was. Um, and, and um, yeah, I can only imagine how difficult it must be for a player to think I'm now literally my, my body has failed and that's that's put me right at the bottom of the pile and so um, yeah how, the, how players deal with that that mental anguish is, is, is always interesting but. yeah it'll be either him Adam Federici as David mentioned there or of course Adam Davies who was very impressive for Barnsley last season right this is the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport we've got about 13 minutes to go Love Sport this is the Leeds United fan show on Love Sport with myself Matt Beadle and John McKenzie of All Stats aren't we joined by Ben Whitehall in the studio. Guys, we are four games in, 10 points from a possible 12. Are we happy? Are we good? Are we excited? When we look at the season ahead, who do you think is going to challenge Leeds United? Are Leeds United going to be at the top or there thereabouts this in May? Is it is it 10 points or is it two points dropped? Though? That's, that's <laughs> Interestingly to look at it. And by the way, when we were on that, that call with David Cowlishaw, by the way, I, did, I love the fact that you said, I've got some XG tables in front of me. <laughs> Would have expected nothing less, John. <laughs> yeah, I, I should shout out to Billy Davis. He's, uh, he, uh, Billy Reid, sorry, he's, he's compiling those for us this season. So, But they're, they're really interesting to look at because basically it just takes it takes you the, the XG for and against and, and works out roughly what the results should have been um, with a bit of tolerances built in. And, and it really interesting to see Stoke were really high up the table even even until the Preston result as well so um, I, I think Stoke will be okay this season um, and yeah I think that that's a really good way of, of looking at who's, who's going to be doing well Fulham obviously looking okay there uh, West Brom looking good as well um, Sheffield Wednesday actually well worth well worth their position in the table as well so but I think the team that that the team that I'm worried about is 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 going to be Fulham. I think um, Fulham don't have the greatest manager, but they do have the greatest squad. Um, and you know, there's a, there's a there's an extent to which you can get a long way by having game changing players who can um, just come in and, and and make that difference. We we talk about XG tables all the time, but the XG values are based on what the the average player taking that chance would would produce. Um, and obviously Fulham don't have average players. They have players who are all going to be overperforming their XG as well. So um, there's a sense in which by playing r- really good players, you can sort of game the system a little bit um, because you have players like Caviero who will who will score screamers. You, you have players like Mitrovic who will um, just put everything in the net. Ben, with regards to strength and depth, is that something Leeds fans need to worry about? We saw a lot of big names depart in the club. Pontus Janssen actually... We haven't talked about Pontus Janssen yet. The reaction on in the week, obviously you were playing Brentford. What was that like with him coming back to Ellen Road? Well, I think from, from what I saw, it was it was pretty. Uh, he was pretty well received. You know, I saw pictures of Cooper giving a big hug at the end of the the game. Uh, Bielsa asked the fans not to boo him, and I think that's pretty well respected. Um, you know, I, I take the view that you know we don't actually owe Pontus anything. You know, I, you know, I think. Players leave clubs that they've, where they've been adored and they've been handsomely paid, and then they kind of expect a certain reverence. And I think you know, Pontus was a great, great servant. He connected really well with the fans. You know, he didn't, we didn't get up last season. And if you look at the little instances where, you know, he came into the news, he swore on Sky Sports, he took his uh, training kit off, uh, you know, after Derby and sat on his own. You know, he's a bit of a troublemaker, and he really just didn't fit the kind of Bielsa mould. Leeds have this saying of, of side before self and that doesn't resonate with Pontus you know he doesn't believe in that he's a very ambitious guy from what we, we hear about him um, and I think that only works if you know your ambitions align with his you know he's very much out for himself so I think I th- you know my personal view is that you know we're better off without him Ben White has come in performed 
really, really well in the first uh, kind of five games, and it's a stellar signing. And so I'm I'm not very worried about it. But John and I slightly disagree on this. I think. Oh, he's okay. I like it. M- more more wishing that he was still around a bit. I think. Do you think? I don't know. I I, I was quite happy to see him go. I yeah. think. Um, I I'm, I'm the same. I I as I said at the beginning, you know, the moniker that I hold to is trust the process. And and Pontus is great when when you want <laughs> blood and thunder and you want you want emotion and you want um you want to see someone just pull out a uh, a, a, a a, a sort of game-changing performance but so much of what Leeds does now is based around this idea that as long as you do everything that's expected of you in the right way that's enough that's what that's what we're trying to do and, and side before self is, is that's basically what it translates into in, in Bielsa Ball and so for me I yeah Pontus was 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 great he he was a, he was a good defender we'll, we'll miss his we'll miss his prowess in the air at, at set pieces no one's denying that but again you know as we've said all along that it's all about the system it's all about having players who are going to be able to to i mean we've talked about Leeds being a high possession inside they're not going to get pressed high by a lot of teams and even if even if they are in first halves they're going to they're, they're going to be given so much more time on the ball so it's it, you want your defender in that scenario to be like your goalkeeper as we said like the goalkeeper's making one save a game we want him to be good with his feet it's the same with the it's the same with the um the defenders if the defenders are making one chat tackle in the game or one interception in the game and the rest of the time they're making 40 50 60 passes you want your you want your uh, defenders to be very good on the ball and ben white is better on the ball than pontus jansen so for, for me that's it's a totally fair exchange that said um i think as, as, as Ben was saying, Pontus has been a, a great servant of the club. He was he was one of the bright sparks in the in the real doldrums of mm. of the Heckingbottom Christensen era when when there wasn't really much to cheer about. And then you did get him every once in a while making a challenge and then like cheering at the at the cop end. And those things I, I appreciate him for. Um, but in the long run, I want us to be playing good football, and I, I think moving him on, bringing in Ben White has, has, has done that, guaranteed that we will. He moved on, as did Kamar Roof as well. Obviously, Jack Clark did and instantly returned with the loan signings that you've made. Helder Costa, I believe, is with a view to a permanent move. Otherwise, you've, you've brought in loan deals, Eddie and Ketia as well. Are you happy with the summer business, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I think if you look at the bench uh, that we have in these opening games, it's much, much stronger um, than at any point last season, I'd say, you know, to have the likes of Inketi and Costa come on and, you know, be that kind of finisher, have that finisher role and essentially kind of dial pace up and dial kind of the intensity up um, is something we didn't really have last season. Jack Clark was probably the closest we had um, for just a few games and obviously that led him to be bought by Spurs. So I'm much happier with that. You know, you've got Shackleton, who's another kind of year on. He's had a really good summer, performed really well for England at the... Uh, under 22 long tournament um, so you know you look at that and you know, the couple of the kind of signings you've got Bogots the kind of young Polish lad who's 17 who's played really well for the under 23s um, and so you're looking pretty pretty comfortable I think without any injuries um, my worry is that if you know one or two of those players get injured early on we're, we're struggling and we've we've maxed out on loan signings and you know there's clearly no budget there so um, we have to see how it goes. Now, we're not going to do this every week on the Leeds Fan Show, but because it's the first one, I have to ask. We've been here before, gents. We've had good starts to the season. We've been there or thereabouts at the end of the campaign. Obviously, we saw that last season. Do you think this season could potentially be the one that sees Leeds United return to that top flight? Yeah, I think so. And I think if it isn't, then then we're going to be stepping backwards for sure. Uh, but as we've said, I said all along, trust the process. The process is working at the moment. The process is is about controlling games. It is about making sure that we're not giving up too much, too many chances, and 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 creating more ourselves, and then really turning the screw at the end of games. And I think you know, there's no team that I've seen really that I, I'm worried about will will cause us, or at least there's no two teams that I think will cause us to to not get one of those top two uh, promotion playoff spots. Uh, pl- top two automatic promotion spots sure and we had David Callishaw obviously on from the Wizards of Dribble podcast he thinks it's going to be a draw at the weekend Stoke yet to win a game in the championship this season Ben predictions um, usually I'd say this is the type of game Leeds would lose um, bottom of the table you know we're flying high playing great football but I think this I think this season is different uh, as John said and I think you know I think we'll probably win 2-0 2-0 uh, yeah and another Banford goal oh Bamford and Nketiah would be perfect, wouldn't it? That would be nice, yeah. <laughs> Yourself, John? 
Yeah, I think, you know, actually looking at the way that the, the, the teams line up, you know, um, we've already mentioned the midfield diamond, the four four two midfield diamond that Stoke use. Um, that will cause them to be very narrow and Leeds have a playing a very ex- expansive football in terms of they're trying to hit. Um, we've already mentioned overload to uh, isolate. They, we, we know they're going to try and find Harrison and, and, and whoever's playing left back uh, in, in those areas. Um They'll also be. They've also been working hard at, at creating chances in the first half through the through the right hand side through um, Hernandez, even long balls down the channel into into Bamford. I think that Stoke will struggle um, to to maintain the width, um, precisely because they have that they have that very narrow formation, and so it's a, again a question of what what damage the Leeds can do to their fullbacks. So I I'll say two 0 as well. I think. Okay, this is one of those rare instances, isn't it, where we have the double bubble of you playing him in the Carabao Cup as well yeah, yeah, shortly yeah. afterwards. We saw that with Millwall and West Brom, of course. Different different teams, different squads. Do you think Bielsa will go for? Yeah, definitely. I think I think you know some of those players I mentioned that have been sitting on the bench will get a run out. Um, you know, you hope that um, you know the likes of Bogots um, gets minutes as well, and I think. You know that's good for the the main squad as well because it's going to be a tough season. You know these games come thick and fast. Forshaw talked about it and Bamford's talked about it as well. There's positives to that, but you know it is exhausting. Um, and Leeds want a good start to the season, and that means resting players in the cup. Yeah, and we've already seen it in this little, little mini spurt that we've had, where where Bielsa has been very he's been very um, careful to. to protect certain players so I think that a lot of that's to do with him wanting to make sure that those players get through that period without any injuries Absolutely well this has been the first ever Leeds United fan show on Love Sport enjoyed it gents? Yeah very much Great Good fun. stuff we will be back same time next week on Friday at 8pm this is Love Sport Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.